we sold out of 5,000 jeans in three minutes. We had nothing left to sell for the rest of the hour. Nothing. Hmm. And it became a phenomenon. We, at our peak, and our peak was 2021, 2020, um, went on air for Thanksgiving. Always, you know, big holidays, big money. Sold 225,000 jeans in one day. Wow. That's incredible. So all of this. Hello, Empower Nation. Welcome to Empower Her Money Podcast. I am your host, Angela Duncan, speaker, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur. We are talking all things money and business. Today's episode is sponsored by freemoneytipsbook.com. Go get your free ebook, Seven Steps to Get You Started on Your Financial Journey. Today's episode, I am interviewing Diane Gilman and what a story she has and she's going to give you some tips on how to create a marketplace for your product. Hello, Diane, Queen of Jeans. Welcome to Empower Her Money Podcast. How are you? Very excited. I always love talking to women about their potential. Awesome. Well, I would love for you to start off and kind of talk about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Oh, so my journey is actually very atypical, but the one thing that it does represent is that you could have a million obstacles in front of you and there is a solution and a door to open for each of those obstacles. So um, I was born the day after World War II ended, 1945, and there was no such thing as a career woman. But strangely enough, even as a toddler, I never wanted to play with dolls. I just wanted to make little outfits for them. As I got older, I became obsessed with fashion and the thought of being a fashion designer. And you have to know, at that time, there was no mass-produced clothing. Mm -hmm. There was no, apart from Coco Chanel, there was no dominant female at all in the fashion industry, it was all men. So my parents suffered uh, greatly in the depression of 1929. My mother went from being a debutante in a mansion to becoming the scullery maid in that mansion. And it was turned into a transient boarding house for migrant guys just coming through town after town looking for a job. So to her, having a job was slavery and a great demotion in life. So both my mother and my father, molded by that depression of 29, did not want me to work. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't have ever, as a, as a kid, dreams of, a white dress and a wedding. And it was like, I was obsessed with coming to New York. We lived in Southern California. And as a matter of fact, moved out to Whittier, which was sort of the desert. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got total throwback 
in my household. And it really got to the point where it was so violent and, and it was just irreconcilable and I had to leave home. So I ran away from home and actually never went back for almost 40 years. Hmm. Uh, so I had no family support. I left without, maybe I, I think I counted it. I had 17 cents in my pocket, but I had friends in the record industry in LA and I was always a worker. So I had a job in some boutique. Bottom line was one night boyfriend said, Hey, he was a record agent. Meet me up at the Whiskey A Go-Go. I said, don't be stupid. It's Monday night. It's closed. He said, not for us. It's not. We stood by the stage of unbelievable moment. A crazy looking redhead comes out on stage with a bottle of Southern Comfort. It's Janis Joplin. She oh. says afterwards, she's talking to him because I think he was with the RCA. Big record deal. And she's like, hey, man, your jacket's groovy. And I just ripped it off and said, take it. I became the the expert at hand painting, jeweling, slashing, patching, piecing together great denim jackets with, you know, weeks worth of labor in them. And it was never for money. It was always just for the love of the craft and you get backstage passes. And so I lived that life and I loved it until one day I woke up and I was about 26. I had followed the music scene up to San Francisco, lived next door to the Jefferson Airplane Mansion, one gigantic, never ending party. And I said, you're getting a little old for this. I think you better do something profound, make a decision. Are you going to be a true professional or not? And I thought, yeah. And I knew one person in New York and I had just enough money for an airline ticket and I did it. And I came to New York and every door was slammed in my face because the irony is, and a lot of you may know this who are listening, Talent is ethereal. Talent is ephemeral. You may have it, but unless it translates to dollar bills, you are not going to have anybody take you seriously. So no matter how many garmentos, I said, I'm really talented. I had no resume. I had no proof I could make money. I had no education in fashion because my parents refused, even though I had a four-year scholarship to the Sorbonne, they refused to send me there. So, okay, so I get a job at night in Max's, Kansas City. I meet Landy Warhol. I meet Mick Jagger. Everybody's there, but that's not really helping me. And in the daytime, I go to work at Bloomingdale's, depressingly enough, in the old lady's girdle and bullet bra department. It couldn't have been more humiliating. But one day, the the fashion coordinator of Bloomingdale's came in to change around the department. I said, I'll help you. Hey, I've got a little line of clothing. Okay. I used to go home at night and make another pattern. 
do another bit of sewing, do some embroidery. And I made this little seven piece collection. I got an appointment to show it to her. She went crazy. They Bloomingdale's was truly at that time a store that believed in talent and put their beliefs into backing. So they ordered a hundred thousand dollars worth and I burst out in tears and she said and like oh my god this woman's psychotic why are you crying and I said I don't have the money I can't buy that much fabric I can't pay for the labor I thought you were going to order like a thousand dollars worth <laughs> and they they forwarded me the money for everything they wow. backed me Bloomingdale's backed me and they also gave me a series of double trunk two-page centerfold New York Times ads introducing Diane Gilman and all the windows of Bloomingdale. So that wow. was the first discovery and taste for success. Then as I went on, I was given the opportunity to introduce washable silk to America. I think Diane von Furstenberg and I did it simultaneously. I was very good at painting, very good at creating my own prints. Natural fibers like silk take print and color beautifully. And we became a sensation. I went to get backed by, I had a certain businessman in mind who had backed Tommy Hilfinger in the beginning years. And so I had a lot of respect for him but I always had one weakness and again ladies you may relate to this it was impossible for me to be a talent and a suit at the same time so mm -hmm. I always had to depend on whoever was financing me to be fair and be honest well that's a joke mm -hmm. and um so we hit it big. My name was in every department store in America when department stores were huge. <laughs> Pardon me. So I started to realize that somehow this was not equating <laughs> to accruing wealth on my part, even though we were just humming along. And so I sued. I sued them for what I felt I was not getting. And that was the stupidest thing I could ever do. However, it was also not so stupid because they wanted to use my name. It was the, the Diane Gilman collection. They wanted to use my name to go public. I had a giant um, Chinese conglomerate behind me on the Hang Seng Index. But you cannot go public in Hong Kong if you have any lawsuit against you, and here was my lawsuit. Oh. So they wanted to go public and get a big payoff. I wanted to get my name back and, and get to people who would be fair to me. Good luck on that one. And um, this went on forever, and I'm dying. I'm using up all my life savings and fighting for my name, and I'm thinking this was the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. And one day... This was before cell phones. This was 1994. Phone rang. Landline. I pick it up and someone goes, hi, is this Diane? And I thought, oh my God, 
Am I late on the mortgage? Is this a bill collector? <laughs> Is this another lawyer suing me through these guys? So I'm very careful. And I said, uh, yeah. And who is this? Oh, hi. I'm a talent scout for QVC. And we would like you to be on TV. And I said, first of all, is this a joke? <laughs> like this is a joke, right? No. I said, well, you're a little late because I'm in the middle of a lawsuit. I can't use my name. It's an active lawsuit. And I'm thinking I want to kill myself like this. You got to be kidding mm -hmm. me. This is your karma. So I give her the whole story and she goes, oh, that's no problem. We'll just call you Diane. Mm. And that's how I got on air. And okay. truly just through a freak happenstance. So I go on air and I'm thinking to myself, I'm really photophobic. I don't like photos taken of me. I, I don't think I'm attractive. I, but now I'm on a TV camera. This is for real. And as we go through show by show, and I'm showing washable silk, and finally the lawsuit does come to an end eventually, um, I'm thinking to myself, wow, the power of communication. Like you can have thousands of people online. You know, this is incredible. And at some point, I found QBC a little bit rigid and decided better bet HSN. <laughs> and they really let me do what I wanted to do. I And I developed a whole TV persona and the customer really related to it. And I love the customer. And then in between it all, the gentleman that I lived with for 20 years uh, passed away from cancer. And it was a long, hard fight. And it was very difficult. And I ballooned up to almost 200 pounds, which was not good for being on TV. But... It was good for my light bulb moment because here I was, I was 54, uh, 55. I was overweight. I was out of shape and I had been the queen of jeans previously in my lifetime in the rock and roll music industry. So the comfort I wanted from, from all of this was to not be viewed as an old lady and what was the best way to do that? Wear a pair of jeans, but there was no jean that was ever going to fit my mm. middle age overweight body. I eventually lost a good part of that weight, but didn't matter. I was in a tube around the middle, skinny little legs, big midriff. I was the epitome of a middle age body and where the fat gravitates towards. So I started going on a crusade. I went and spent one day a weekend going to category killer denim stores, like the Gap, like Old Navy, whatever it was, I was there trying to find a gene that fit a new shape, which was like a meatball on toothpicks. So I can't find it. I can't find it. I have lots of terrible experiences in brick and mortar stores with college kids on spring break. 
waiting on me and saying, aren't you in the wrong store? You're mm. way too old for this. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I really needed that. So one day I think to myself, what you are so dumb. You've got a sewing room in Manhattan. Go out and buy three yards of denim. Take your measurements, make a pattern, because I could also make patterns. Make your own jean, for God's sakes. So where I would ordinarily have had to buy a jean with a 32 waist, which was the biggest it ever came from major brands, and then the thighs would be gigantic and it would lose, and the butt would be gigantic and it would lose all its sexiness, I made my own pattern for a 32-inch waist with six to eight inches of stretch. We figured out how to sew the waistband on in a very unique way that didn't the stitching didn't inhibit the stretch at all. And a kind of shelf butt, which you get in older age, and a ton of um, give to it, and a great fit through the thigh. And it was amazing. I was in that gene every day. I loved the way it made me look. I really loved the way it made me feel. And at some point, I said to myself, uh-uh, this isn't just for you. This is for every middle-aged woman who, pardon me, has gone through menopause and can't find anything to make her feel good or, or look sexy again. So we had just gotten a female CEO at HSM, brilliant Mindy Grossman, brilliant woman, who had been one of the founding um, agents of Polo Ralph Lauren status jeans when that was a revelation. So she was there to build that brand. So I knew she understood denim. And I took a chance. And I just laid it out to her. And I said, this is the age of your customer. Here's what they need. And they don't even know they need it because it doesn't exist. Give me a break. And please, 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 just give me a break. I'll just take one hour on air. Let me prove to you that this is a phenomenal light bulb moment product. Yeah. And she did, except that it was a February morning at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Sunday. <laughs> so freezing cold, dark outside. Who the hell is going to be up watching at that point? And do you know? And oh, and I had a completely hostile to denim 3X host who swore she'd rather fall on a sword than ever try a jean on and refused to wear my product on air. And we were screaming at one another until the lights went on and suddenly, hi, everybody. Um, we sold out of 5,000 jeans in three minutes. We had nothing left to sell for the rest of the hour. Nothing. Hmm. And it became a phenomenon. We, at our peak... And our peak was 2021, 2020. Um, went on air for Thanksgiving, 
always, you know, big holidays, big money. Sold 225,000 jeans in one day. Wow, that's incredible. So all of this is illogical. Fashion industry and entertainment industry are obsessed with youth. Yet I had my biggest moment at the age of 60 in a fashion industry that discards you by the time you're 45, unless you're an executive. So if you're a talent, you're not even in the game anymore. By the time it got around to me, I felt totally alone. Although I do want to say, as an aside, Coco Chanel did not invent the the Chanel suit until she was 72 years old. Hmm. So that gave me a little bit of perspective. And the other thing was, you know, the customer and the viewer for Teller Retail, QVC, HSN, is a middle-aged customer with a median age of, I think, 55 or 57 years old. So I was once again in my element there. And they weren't perfect anymore, and they didn't have a fortune to spend on fashion. But I made them... I I gave a really emotional sell and I could do that because I was wearing the jean every day of my life since I invented it. I knew how it made me feel. I knew how it interpreted to other people. I I I felt that I was treated as if I was smarter, hipper, more energetic, younger, and I related all of those feelings to the customer and made them the promise that that's what they would feel as well. And I was right. And they did. And it went to a hundred million dollar a year at retail brand. And it became a legend. And after I saw the sales so insane on air in America, we were selling 25,000 jeans an hour. In an hour that I was on air was crazy. I thought, I don't think it matters whether you're eating fish and chips or you're eating a plate of pasta or you're eating escargot. You're all going to go through the changes with hormones and you're going to need this gene. So then I went to the executives at QVC and begged them to put me on air. I said, just put me, let let me start with the country where we both speak relatively the same language, England, UK, (laughs) and we'll take it from there. And we jumped to number one, almost instantly. They'd never had a fitted bottom that actually worked. And then we took it to Italy out of Milan and Germany out of Dusseldorf. And Um, We opened up Paris, France. Um, Then we went to Toronto. So we did all of Canada. Then we went to Australia. And it just jumped to number one everywhere. And it became apparent that that need for forgiveness in a pant leg was so universal. So um, that's how I built my legacy. And I was on air for 30 years. I went through breast cancer from 2018. I was off for about 10 months. Um, And then COVID hit and we couldn't be in the studio anymore. And we started doing shows remotely. And I thought, 
could get really used to this. Like my refrigerator is two inches away from the camera. I can go straight from being on air to actually eating decent food and catching a nap on my sofa on a long day. Um, so when they wanted us back in studio again, uh, a lot had changed. And I had to ask myself a question, which was, do you still love doing this? And the answer was, no, no. Hmm. I loved building it. I loved every leap. I loved making it international and I loved designing, but um, I felt, you know, you can be in a medium for so long that it goes into its own form of decline. And that was teleretailing. So I thought, okay, well, you're 77 years old. I'm 78 now. Um, what are your skills? Because you don't want to retire. That That word just terrified me. And I thought, I think I'm a good communicator. Mm. Like, I've done this for 30 years. I, I love being in front of a camera. I love, but I always wanted to talk about bigger issues on air, like how we age and how we feel. And the studio was always like, no. You know, they're in your ear like, no, no, just sell, sell, sell. So I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to take a huge leap of faith and say goodbye and so I did my whole deal and I sold my company and I sold my name and I thought, and I'm not someone who lives with a lot of regrets. I think that's a complete waste of energy. So I thought, well, maybe you really just sealed your fate. Like this could have been the dumbest thing you ever did. In within five weeks, I was offered my own weekly podcast. Nice. With people who was set it up and and I thought, okay, all right, all right, I'll try this. And I had a co-host. But the poor guy, I wanted to talk about a lot of women's issues. That was obviously not totally appropriate for him. But I thank him because he really taught me how to do a podcast and the rhythm of it and the pace of it and the purpose of it. And so we started my podcast, which is called, and it is the title of my book, my second book, Too Young to Be Old, as in your brain, you will always, if you if you really live your life at its highest energy level and potential, you'll always be too young to be old. And um, so the first thing was we were picked in the top, I don't know why, but there's like some service that rates you um, on YouTube. We were picked as the top 87 in the top 87 podcasts. And then we became top 27. And then about two weeks ago, we are now in the top 10. We're ranked in the top 10 for how to um, podcast for women over 55 how to live, how to see things, how to get opportunities. And I'm fascinated with my age group, but the thing that I found so incredible was half our audience is 25 to 49. Oh. Nobody looks forward to aging, but but if people see someone doing it atypically, 
and doing it right, it doesn't look so scary. And then they want to know how you did it. How did you do that? And I'm still doing it. So um, I'm just, uh, I guess my message is you never know when your greatest success is going to come. And if you are not in it, you can't win it. And don't think it just may be one success in your life. Like I now want to become the number one podcast for women over 55 who are looking for solutions. And so that's my new goal. And I think that is also about being always too young to be old. Set goals for yourself, but don't time yourself out. I I mean, I did a million times over when I was younger. I saw everybody around me have their moment of success. And it was, why me? Why not me? How come this isn't happening to me? I'm not happy. But you know what? Having a lightning bolt success at 60, in a way, is much sweeter. You're unique. You're different. You're a, a, a surprise. You're a gem. You know, you're a national treasure. You're the queen of genes. And um, and now being able to take a lot of that audience on the journey moving forward, I am just loving what I'm doing, having the time of my life. Awesome. That's an incredible story. So some key takeaways. I was taking notes as you were going through that. Um, one is saying yes. When you picked up that first phone call for QVC <laughs> and you guys figured out a way how to get around it, you still said yes. I mean, that was an action that you had to take. Two, you were looking for a marketplace for something that you needed. And because you couldn't find it, you created a marketplace. And then you thought, well, I can't be the only one. So let's test this out. So I love that you looked couldn't find it, created the product because you were so great at creating products that you found a place and you took a chance selling it and you, you, you learned your market, right? So you're on HSN, you know what their demographic is and it's you. And so they can relate to you and you're such a a brand ambassador for yourself and what you needed. And other people are like, yeah, that's me too. So I love that as well. And then how you've pivoted over the years as you've grown as your needs have grown you know that there's still an audience there and you're catering to that audience especially on the podcast platforms which obviously we're on today um, knowing that you have so much valuable information that you want to share with everybody and now here's another way for you to do that to encourage women and to let them know like don't stop just keep going yeah keep going and if I had to give one essential kernel of uh, advice and wisdom for that. I would tell you that I was in a unique position, but you may be in it too. If you are doing something you genuinely love and you love what you're doing, then just carry on. And the success, especially You know, I think part of my biggest success when I sold the $225,000 pairs of jeans in a day came from the fact that I had gone through breast cancer. It made me very vulnerable. And I think it opened up my heart energy. And then customers just, they fell in love with me. We had an incredible love affair with about 
700,000 women as my fan base at the time. And so I would say that a lot of us who are in creative fields tend to wall off our heart because we're so, I was always so afraid of, um, of being ignored or being denied the chance to use my talent or people not believing in me and saying, no, no, no. But in fact, when I opened up my heart and my heart is really open with the podcast series, um, it's so much more powerful. So that is a very hard, difficult thing to do, at least for me. But that's probably the most valuable piece of advice I can give. Never time yourself out. And never, if you really love what you're doing and you think it can make a difference, open up your heart and you will not believe the energy you get back. It will yes. be phenomenal. That's awesome. All right. So one final question, Diane, more of a fun question for you. But if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, and you know, I never watch any of those Marvel movies. So I know I don't want to be a spider. And maybe I'd like, I would love to have the power to make people happy, big, big swaths of people, mm. really happy. We mm. are so lacking that in the world today. Mm -hmm. Everything is so sad, mm -hmm. so stressful. Mm -hmm. um, that would be, that would be my goal. Awesome. That would be my superpower to just be able to go like that. Just take my hand and sprinkle fairy dust over tens of thousands of people and have them stop hating and start loving and and do and and do good unto others and themselves. I I would want to leave that legacy. That would I, that that would be my superpower. That's great. That man. and being able and being able to eat a hundred thousand calories in a day and, <laughs> and stay skinny. Okay, but I don't think that's a truly valid superpower. But. It I could be. Diane, if our audience <laughs> wants to reach you, where, where's the best place for them to reach you? Okay. So all in small caps, it's the Diane on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And my, I have my own YouTube channel and the podcast too young to be old by Diane Gilman with lots of Really interesting subjects. And by the way, October going into November is going to be double paranormal month with ghost stories that are real and mediums and oh, ghost hunters and all kinds of cool stuff. Oh, so, I love that. I love, I love that. that. Yeah, I love that stuff. So um, thank you so much for this opportunity. Yes. Thanks, Diana. Next time in New York, I'm definitely going to look you up so we can go out and do some ghost hunting. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Uh, I'm ready. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Empower Her Money podcast. Make sure you leave me a five-star review, share this podcast, subscribe, and share the message.